lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand, right here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace alongside Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. That's Steve at SteveDace.com. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E and different social media networks. You can interact with us as well. Look for my name, Steve Dace, on Facebook, Gab, MeWe, and Parler. And then and also, and Parlor is one place for sure that you know you're going to get all of our most updated COVID information as well. And then you can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show for for clips of the show that you can share, sample, uh, and watch for free. Go to YouTube.com/slash Steve Dace, or you can also go to Rumble.com/slash Steve Dace Show. And if you've got a trip coming up, maybe a spring break trip, you're realizing I should have moved to Florida a long time ago. Right. Um, if you're looking for something to read, my new book, A Nefarious Carol, it was it was plotted out, pardon the pun, uh, specifically to be read in one airplane ride, kind of, a you know, uh, a commute to get your attention and stick with you. It's the novella sequel to my 2016 book, A Nefarious Plot. Get your copy today, either via Amazon.com or if you'd like an autographed copy uh, via Premier Collectibles. The link for that is pinned to the top of both my Facebook and Twitter accounts. All right. Coming up on the show today. Well, first, let me mention this uh, conservative comedian with a fairly robust um, uh, social media following. uh, Tim Young uh, tweeted out literally just as we were coming up on the air and I retweeted it. Hey, when was the last time a corporation tweeted uh, God exists or we believe in God? And this is, of course, in response to all the virtue signaling we're seeing right now. With uh, training madness going on, was it was it Oreo cookies was the latest one, right? Trans people exist, Steve. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, my daughters came home and were like, "Dad, what the hell?" Exactly. Did you tell them exactly? Yeah. That's the, they, That's they worded that question. It. They stuck the landing. That's the precise wording of that question. What the hell? I thought you'd be proud. Could not be have worded any better than that. I, I can think of one company that might do that though. And let me give them a little shameless plug. It's our friends over at Patriot Mobile. They're America's only conservative mobile phone company. They don't believe in silencing you. They just expanded their coverage dramatically. So you're going to get the same coverage you get from all the big names, but they don't uh, use your money uh, to then plot against you uh, in the culture war at the exact same time. And you can switch with confidence while they charge you much less and switching is easy. Uh, You can keep your phone number, bring your own phone, buy a new one. Uh, You can build your own bundle with multi-line discounts and save even more. They even give extra discounts to veterans and first responders too. So just go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve to switch or learn more at patriotmobile.com slash Steve, or you can give them a call at 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT, drop the promo code Steve, find out about this month's special and a free gift at 972-PATRIOT. But what Tim was mentioning is something we have talked about on our show for the really the last few years now that there's been all this talk about a major America's overdue for a major political realignment. We had one. It just happened under the radar in the boardrooms of America. Most of the boardrooms of America are fully on board with this. Some of it is just, please don't burn us down BLM. Please don't glitter bomb us rainbow jihad. But I'm here to tell you 
There's not as much of that as you think. There, a sizable amount of this is what we call today virtue signaling, but a good amount of it, more than you're probably comfortable with, is these are true believers, Stanley. I mean, they're true believers. They came out of the same indoctrination factories, taught by the same, uh, you know, history and sociology and um, women's studies professors that you see on MSNBC every night. So that's nothing new. And we're going to have to rethink our whole, well, it's a private business. It can do whatever it wants mantra from the 80s. We're going to have to kind of rethink that. You know, somebody said to me today, well, you know, I think masks are a joke. Um, but if a company asks me to wear one and I want to be their patron, I'll, I'll, I'll grant that. I mean, I'll grant that to a point because I also understand why most companies, most businesses, and I'm a business owner, I can understand why most business owners are doing it fear of lawsuits, things of that nature. But but there's no limits on that. They tell you you can't come to my store unless you are willing to do gender reassignment surgery. And don't laugh. We're five minutes from that. You're giving, you're giving it five minutes. That's uh, nice. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm, you know, it's, it's March, one of my favorite months of the year. All right. Uh, NCAA tournament's just around the corner. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling optimistic. So I'm going to give it about five minutes. Yes. So we, we definitely need to rethink some of our past talking points because they are of the past. They represent an era. I, I'm sad about this. I wish this wasn't the case, but it is what it is. They, it, these are talking points from a bygone era. All right, here's what's coming up on the show today. Next hour, it's our Monday town hall. And our monthly or weekly Ask Me Anything is from our friends and followers at Parlor with Parlor back online. Time to bring you guys back into the fam. So the Parlor followers will get to determine the topics that we address next hour on the show. Also, now that the warmer weather is here in the Midwest, our friend Bob Vanderplatz has returned from Florida. He will join us uh, at the bottom of the hour. We've got some clips of Trump's CPAC speech, and we'll get his reaction to those. But before we get to all of those zany hijinks, of course, we must begin with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Trump at CPAC. Well, thank you very much. And hello, CPAC. Do you miss me yet? Biden said just a few days ago that when he got here, meaning the White House, there was no vaccine. I don't think he said that, frankly, in a malicious way. I really don't. I actually believe he said that because he didn't really know what the hell was happening. The task for our movement... And our party is to stand up to this destructive agenda with confidence and with resolve. The future of the Republican Party is as a party that defends the social, economic, and cultural interests and values of working American families of every race, color, and creed. But who knows? Who knows? I may even decide to beat them for a third time. On behalf of the moms, dads, and children of America, I call on Joe Biden to get the schools open and get them open now. Be a great thing to do. Now more than ever is the time for tough, strong, and energetic Republican leaders who have spines of steel. We need strong leadership. 
We cannot have leaders who show more passion for condemning their fellow Americans than they have ever shown for standing up to Democrats, the media, and the radicals who want to turn America into a socialist country. Trump also broke into a new topic, at least for him. Young girls and women are incensed that they are now being forced to compete against those who are biological males. It's not good for women. It's not good for women's sports, which worked so long and so hard to get to where they are. The records that stood for years, even decades, are now being smashed with ease. Smashed. If this does not change, women's sports as we know it will die. Also at CPAC, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem took a swipe at Dr. Anthony Fauci. We never focused on the case numbers. Instead, we kept our eye on hospital capacity. Now, Dr. Fauci, he told me that on my worst day, I'd have 10,000 patients in the hospital. On our worst day, we had a little over 600. Now, I don't know if you agree with me, but Dr. Fauci is wrong a lot. Fauci, fresh off the heels of weeks of clobbering the previous administration, had this to say in response. You know, it's it's unfortunate, but it is it is not really helpful because sometimes you think things are going well and just take a look at the numbers. They don't lie. We see, Margaret, what happens when you pull back prematurely. Now, you're going to have individual instances of situations where people may not have and didn't see a rebound right away. But you've really got to be careful, particularly now that we have variants in this country that seem to spread more efficiently and maybe even are more dangerous with regard to pathogenicity. The dam seems to be breaking when it comes to coverage of embattled New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, but it's not for killing thousands of elderly nursing home residents by seeding their homes with COVID-positive patients. Nope. Another ex-aide of the governor came forward over the weekend to accuse Cuomo of sexual harassment. Cuomo said in a statement, quote, I acknowledge some of the things I have said have been misinterpreted as an unwanted flirtation. To the extent anyone felt that way, I am truly sorry about that. Cuomo's office also announced Sunday it's asking the state's attorney general and chief judge to appoint an independent investigator to examine allegations of sexual harassment against him. Checking in on Joe Biden. And representatives uh, Shirley Jackson Lee, Al Green, Sylvia Garcia, Lizzie Pinelli. Excuse me, Pinnell, and uh, what am I doing here? I'm going to lose track here. He had an interview with Univision when Jill had to step in. We'll be able to provide for every kid who comes across the border safely to be housed in a facility that's licensed. And this administration is doing it in a humane way. Meanwhile, in Georgia, the state Senate just passed a bill mandating voter ID for absentee ballots cast in the state. Naturally, left-wing activists stormed the state capitol. In Portland, Oregon, Antifa militants once again ransacked sections of the city over the weekend. Who knows and who cares what they were upset about this time? In Berkeley, California, video surfaced over the weekend of the president of the Berkeley Federation of Teachers, Matt Meyer, dropping off his two-year-old daughter at an in-person preschool. Meyer, as you can imagine, has been an outspoken opponent of schools reopening for in-person learning in the Bay Area over the last year, insisting all teachers must be vaccinated before returning to the classroom. 
Frontier Airlines released the following statement yesterday, quote, members of a large group, including adults, refused to wear masks as Flight 2878 was preparing for departure from Miami to LaGuardia. Repeated requests to comply with federal law necessitated their removal from the flight. The issue did not stem from a child under two. And here's what the video says. For those of you listening, what we're watching is a plane full of people all wearing their masks. So what gives? According to the passengers on the plane, this incident stemmed from an 18-month-old baby not being able to wear a mask. Eyewitnesses also described flight attendants giving each other high fives to celebrate what they had done. Speaking of insanity, here's this. I am a white, transmasculine, femme, non-binary, temporarily mostly able-bodied, neurodivergent, obsessive, compulsive, chronically ill, culturally Jewish, Unitarian Universalist, non-monogamous, demi-low romantic, gray demi-bisexual, survivor of acute and complex trauma, millennial, and cat parent in mental health recovery. And now for a couple of rides in the Wayback Machine. A year ago today, U.S. Surgeon General Jerome Adams tweeted, quote, Seriously, people, stop buying masks. They are not effective in preventing general public from catching coronavirus. But if health care providers can't get them to care for sick patients, it puts them and our communities at risk. And then there's this from a year ago yesterday. Dr. Anthony Fauci writes in the New England Journal of Medicine regarding COVID-19, quote, If one assumes that the number of asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic cases is several times as high as the number of reported cases, the case fatality rate may be considerably less than 1%. This suggests the overall clinical consequences of COVID-19 may ultimately be more akin to those of a severe seasonal influenza, which has a case fatality rate of approximately 0.1%, or a pandemic influenza, similar to those in 1957 and 1968, rather than a disease similar to SARS or MERS, which had a case fatality rate of 9 to 10% and 36% respectively. Oh, this is going to be fun. And that's what happened when well, we were away. Aaron's montage brought to you by Keeps. You've got a million reasons to be stressed out these days, right? Stressing out about stressing out about your male pattern baldness and receding hairline, though, doesn't have to be one of them. The good news is Keeps can help. Keeps offers the same doctor-recommended FDA-approved hair loss treatment, but they're generic versions, so you're only going to pay about half the cost. It's a great deal. And one more thing you're going to love about Keeps is the convenience. You do everything online, answer a few easy questions, snap a few pics of your hair, and a licensed doctor will review your info and recommend the right hair loss treatment for you. So then it's shipped directly to your door. I mean, it can't be any easier than that. So let's get you started with a special discount on top of the savings you're already going to enjoy with the generic versions. Go to keeps.com slash grow. That's K-E-E-P-S, K-E-E-P-S for keeps.com slash grow and get 50% off your first order of hair loss treatments today at keeps.com slash grow. 50% off at keeps.com slash grow. All right, let's get to, uh, there's there's norma, uh, there's numerous tasty morsels uh, in Aaron's montage today. But let's start with Aaron going back to uh, February 28th of 2020 in the pages of the New England Journal of Medicine, Dr. Anthony Fauci writing his own case fatality rate estimate uh, of SARS-CoV-2 or SARS-2 COVID-19. And then it summarizes that, you know, if you throw in the amount of asymptomatic cases, we'll miss, right? Um, and you're looking at probably a case fatality rate on par with you know, a flu season or a pandemic flu, which I think was about 0.7, correct? In that, in that, I believe so, yeah. In that uh, blurb that uh, you think I'd have it memorized because it's only going to be mentioned about 48 times 
in uh, the Fauci book we just completed uh, the uh, first draft of the manuscript for. Well, do you guys know what the current case fatality rate is? If you don't assume any asymptomatics, if you just do simple division, just do simple division of the amount of cases of COVID in America with the amount of deaths. Do you know what it is? And what do you think? First of all, what do you think most Americans, if we polled that question, what do you think most of America would guess the COVID fatality rate, the infection, or I'm sorry, the case fatality rate is for COVID? 50%. Yeah. So Ebola. Yes. Yes. Okay. What do you guys think it is? The, well, this, you know may, this may be the only thing Christy Nome was wrong about regarding Fauci. He kind of was in the ballpark, he, huh? He, he nailed this. Yeah. But, but, but so if you don't include any of the asymptomatic that Fauci's talking about, if we just divided the amount of American cases by deaths, the case fatality rate is... 1.7% in America. 1.7. Now, CDC is estimating there's about 10 times more cases than we know about. People that haven't been tested, people that were asymptomatic, etc. Okay? Well, if you deduct 10 times by 1.7, guys, what do you get? About that 0.7 that Fauci wrote in mm -hmm. the New England Journal of Medicine on February 28th, which was published on March 1st of last year. Dude, say. dude stuck the landing on that. Nailed it. Absolutely freaking nailed it. So then you need to ask yourself, what changed? Because what changed? as did we, we stuck the landing back at the same time. Settle mm -hmm. down, everybody. Don't go nuts. And we didn't, but he did. Yeah. So what changed? And again, I, I shouldn't have to give you this disclaimer, but this is not to diminish any of the lives that have been lost. But we did all of this to stop our grandparents from dying. 95% of the people in this country that have, that have died with or from COVID have been 50 or over. 95%. So, you know, we, you know, what's the old Ben Franklin line? Those who would exchange essential liberty for a little safety are deserving of neither. He knew what he was talking about. He knew about. what he was talking about. We, we, we did that. We, we did that to save our grandparents. And they're 95% of the COVID deaths in America anyway. We didn't get anything out of this. I mean, we got little, we got zero. Zip, zilch, nada. Well, then, that senile, then, man, senile man is in the White House. We got that. Yes. That, well, you did get that, right? You found out literally that Boris Johnson and, and <laughs> Bibi Netanyahu apparently have some sort of bondage BDSM fetish because they just can't get enough of lockdowns. You found that out, right? I mean, so when you now we're not even factoring in from a, from a public health perspective as a policy. As a policy. And these are the decisions your governors and presidents need to make on your behalf in a representative republic. From a public health perspective, we got z we got zilch out of lockdowns. N nothing. We got nothing. Half the deaths in America are from law are still to this day, almost one year now into this, are still almost half the deaths from long-term care facilities, nursing homes. We got nothing. 95% of the deaths are 50 and over. We got nothing out of this. Nothing from a public health perspective. And that's, frankly, that's kind. To say we got nothing out of lockdowns from a public health perspective is the most generous assessment. Now let's factor in everything else. The socioeconomic conditions, the depression rates. When you factor in everything else that the, that the backside of this cause, the law of unintended consequences, this is the dumbest 
worst management decision in human history. The dumbest and worst in all of human history. And again, this is the second day in a row now. We did this happen, or, or second time in the last few days. This happened on Thursday when you had the clip of, of, of Fauci just spouting a bunch of nonsense in response to pushback from Dana Bash. The, her, his response back to her, to Christine Ohm, is nothing. It doesn't say anything. Well, the numbers are what they are, but that doesn't tell you what the numbers are. She actually cited specifics. He, how many specifics did Anthony Fauci cite? I'll give you a hint. It's a low number. Zero. Well, the variants. Okay. Case numbers in the UK are collapsing. The education minister in the UK is is literally losing his mind over taking the masks off the students, demanding that they do it. Stop masking the kids in school. What was the point you made in our private text chain the other day, Aaron? It's less repressive to be at a UK public school than it is at Costco. Yes. I said repressive. Yes. Think about that. That's all, dude, that's some straight up horse bleep is what that is. Just straight up bull, you know what? He's got nothing, folks. He's not even holding do seven offsuit. He doesn't have any cards. He came to the table with like no, he didn't even like get dealt a hand. He's got nothing. You want to know what makes for a good public servant? Prioritizing in a time of crisis, like Christine Ohm indicated that she did. What she's saying there is, all right, you're telling me all these people are going to die, hospitals are going to get overrun, and, and, and then you want me to watch the case count. I can't do all three of those things, and she can't. So you've got to make priorities, right? Yes. i got to prioritize then the death rate and the hospitalization rate, because that's the clear and present danger. And by doing so, you know what she found out? That unless you're seeing a correlation in deaths and hospitalizations, the case rate doesn't matter. It's a fallacy. She made the right decision. She should be celebrated for it. She took a look at her resources as a public servant, the time that was imminent, the immediacy of the moment, and prioritized that which mattered the most. You know what Christy Nome did? She saved as many lives as she could. That's what she did. She didn't make the perfect the enemy of the good. I can't accomplish all three of these events. I can't do all three. So I'm going to prioritize the first two. And the record speaks for itself. This is the second time now that you have seen in the last few days on our program, Anthony Fauci getting modest pushback. For instance, dude, this is nothing like what he'd get if if we had 15 minutes with him on this show. Are you kidding me? You'd be out there. If we had 15 minutes with him on this show, y'all be like five minutes into it. Please hammer. Don't hurt him. Make it stop. Or you'd be going for refills of the Tobo corn and watching it on loop. This is not even pushback, but considering how little of it he has received for the last year, it's the closest damn thing to pushback we've gotten outside of the two times Rand Paul nailed him last year. And you can see with even modest levels of pushback and modest is an exaggeration. He's got nothing, nothing. 
How many times have I told you? I did all those appearances on MSNBC and CNN over the years. There's nothing there. Boldly stand up for what you believe in. There's no trap door. There's no surprise attack. Some data point you weren't aware of. There's a reason why they seek to cancel, shun, silence, and unperson anybody as a racist, bigoted, homophobe that dares disagree. They cannot win an argument. I'm telling you, I have my own experience with this. Over 50 plus times on these networks. They can't win an argument without it. They weren't going to win this last election without mail-in voting. And they got it because of the dumbest, worst decision in the history of human management. There's nothing there. They don't have anything. They got nothing. Virtue signaling guilt. Like somebody tried coming after me today on Twitter. Some laid off sports writer here in town. Well, I wear a mask. Come on, I'm my neighbor. And I love myself. <laughs> I want to love my neighbor as I love myself too. That's why I won't sit here and lie to you. First of all, there's a commandment. Don't bear false witness. Secondly, I wouldn't demand that you wear something that all of the real-time data shows is a sham. If the real-time data shows... I know I, I'm hearing from tons of you about how many new listeners we continue to get on this program. But those of you that have been around here for a while including you two. If the real-time data showed that the mask worked, what would I be saying all this time? Wear a mask. Wear a damn mask. Even as we watched our numbers plummet because it wouldn't be what you want to hear. Has that ever stopped me before? No. No. I'm getting all kinds of notes from people today. Man, I just discovered your show at noon after Rush passed away and I'm looking for a substitute. First of all, there is no substitute for Rush. Let's just be honest about that. All of, all of us are derivatives of Rush to some degree, and all of us des, uh, deserve an owe Rush an eternal debt of gratitude for the phony jobs we get to have. All right, but I get though that you're looking for something to fill an ideological void. And several of you have sent me emails and said, I'm really surprised I never heard of you before. You're really smart. This show's really good. Why aren't you more successful? Me. I'm the problem. I refuse to lie to you, even when it would benefit me. I won't do it. I will not lie to you, even when it would benefit me. So over the years, I've made a lot of enemies. Because also there have been times, if I must be honest, because again, I won't lie to you, that I wasn't the nicest when not lying to you. <laughs> All right? <laughs> okay. So I'm the problem here. It's me. All right? I get it. I'm, I'm not... I'm not nice to be around sometimes, but I'm not ever going to lie to you. If the mask worked, we'd be in here wearing, doing the damn show with masks on. They don't work. They don't, they don't work anywhere in the world. They don't work. Whole thing's a sham. It's a pagan totem religious idol. And no, as a Christian, I'm not going to encourage pagan religious idols and totems. No, I don't. I'm here to smash those things, not promote them. Anything else? I'm good. Okay. They don't work. Fauci has nothing. He just has a brand. There's no there there. He has no data, no facts. There's nothing there. He's just a brand. 
He's the high priest of a cult. The Branch Covidians, they don't have anything. <sighs> Finally, I hate to profile somebody visually. I hate to do it. I mean, again, are you looking at me right now? <clears throat> do I look like somebody that should be profiling somebody else visually? Of course not, but... Raise your hand if you're shocked to learn. Oh, I don't care about the hypocrisy. You, you live in Berkeley. You, you crave it. You have a hypocrisy. You have an authoritarian hypocrisy fetish. In fact, I'm, I'm surprised you're not walking his kids into school while he's keeping yours out. I mean, you live in Berkeley. What did you expect was going to happen? You suck at life. You've been voting for this all this time. I have zero sympathy for you whatsoever. In fact, you don't have any sympathy for yourself. You're enjoying the fact that... He is enjoying his life at the expense of yours. That's why you live in a place like that, to be taken advantage of. But why, raise your hand if you're not surprised to have learned that the head of the teachers unions in Berkeley, California, is a white guy with Rastafarian dreadlocks down to his sphincter hole. Raise your hand. I didn't think anybody would be shocked to hear that. I mean, if, if we had drawn that up, We'd have been accused of all forms of bigotry, unflattery, right? Yes. Yeah. We don't need to make things up. The truth is its own reward. More in a moment. Whether it's the back, knees, neck, shoulder pain, for me, it's a left hip flexor. Whatever the cause may be, if it's not an injury, I mean, if it is, go get uh, professional medical help. But if you're dealing with a lot of pain, soreness, stiffness in those joints and muscles, chances are the underlying cause is likely inflammation. And you got to defeat that inflammation before it can cause permanent damage. That's where our friends over at Omega XL come in. Backed by 35 years of clinical research, Omega XL neutralizes the inflammation that is caused that pain, that stiffness, that soreness. Uh, unlike those topical rubs and those pain relievers, and hey, those work, but they just deal with the symptoms. You want to deal with the cause, the inflammation itself, and that's what Omega XL does. And if you want to give it a shot, this is part of my daily regimen, and I highly recommend it. If you want to give it a shot, uh, we'll give you a buy one, get one free offer today. When you go to OmegaXL.com slash Steve, again, that's buy one bottle, get a second one for free today at OmegaXL.com dot com slash steve let's welcome back back from a snowbird respite in florida our good friend bob vanderplatz from here at the family leader good to see you brother how are you i'm doing really well it wasn't a snowbird respite i was working uh florida happens to be one of the states that we partner with with the daniel impact and, and just so happened that you went down there during the worst winter month in recent iowa history <laughs> february right? is a good time so, to be in florida if you live in iowa so it was a it was a snowbird respite that's what it was we got a lot done while you were leaving florida the former president of the united states was taking the national stage there giving the keynote address at the cpac conference which was moved from dc to ron DeSantis's backyard down there in florida which is one of the best decisions cpac has made in a long time get out of dc we've said that for years yeah it almost tempted me to go again (laughs) almost but not enough so we have, I've not watched any of this speech. 
Uh, I, I did see some of the reaction uh, to it on social media yesterday, but I've not watched any of it except the three clips that Aaron has chosen that we're going to play for you. And we want to get your reaction and we're going to discuss all three of these. All right. You ready right. to go? Sounds good. All right. This is, let, let's get the most, in, I think the most important one out of the way from the outset. This is Trump discussing his political future. With your help, we will take back the House. We will win the Senate. And then a Republican president will make a triumphant return to the White House. And I wonder who that will be. I wonder who that will be. So... For those that, uh, for those of the uninitiated, uh, Bob and I live here in Iowa, uh, which is the first in the nation caucus state. And you and I have been known to play a little bit of a role in the outcome of that process. I think mine is way overrated. Uh, yours, I think, is probably underrated. Okay. Undefeated. Well, that too. Okay. <laughs> well, you can't brag about being undefeated and then say you're underrated. Yeah. All right. Okay. And for the record, I was in two of the same races that you were undefeated in as well. You were. So I could also spin it as when we're together, we're undefeated. I could spin it that way too. We're but always you better together. We're with, always better that's together. True. You can go back with the one time we weren't together, I won anyway. So I probably shouldn't go down that road. <laughs> so, um, but, but there's nothing happening right now. Nothing. I mean, this would be normally about five minutes after a Republican presidential loss was called. You and I's phones would be blowing up. I mean, I've nobody, nothing. There's nothing happening, nothing on the ground, nothing. And I think it's all been because this process is frozen in place about what's Trump going to do. Because obviously, if he's going to run, then this this isn't going to have a, we're not going to have a process. I mean, I, I know there's like three anchors at MSNBC selling you on uh, the likes of Larry Hogan. I mean, his name might as well be Jeff Flake. That's just never happening. Okay, so um, it, it, at the very least, he is laying a marker down that's going to freeze this process indefinitely he's going to be 75 in june which would mean the next republican convention uh he's going to be 79 years old all right so but at the very least what's your thoughts on that at the very least do you agree that this freezes the process for the next republican nominee indefinitely until he makes a ultimate final determination well i don't know if it freezes the process but it definitely puts a different dynamic on the thing that i think people should take encouragement there was is that he's not starting a new party. He's talking about winning back the U.S. House, winning back the U.S. Senate. And I think there's no doubt he he has got a force with a vibrant base within this country. And if he turns that force into good, that you could see a, a House changeover in 2022. You could see winning back the U.S. Senate. And he's got such cachet there right now, I think that makes a lot of sense for him. Now, regarding his candidacy, what he and I know and what you know, Steve, too, is as long as he's holding out the possibility he might run again, mm -hmm. uh, he's a live round. Mm -hmm. And when you're a live round, people are going to listen to you a whole lot more than when you're not a live round. Mm -hmm. And so I think what it is the challenge is going to be for those who think they want to be the candidate in 2024. And they're probably thinking, you know, Trump's never going to run again. He's been president. He's been there. He's done that. He can do a lot more outside of that office than he can inside that office. As a matter of fact, it might be a legacy of take back the House, take back the Senate with real conservatives and then get a conservative to beat Kamala Harris in 2024. That might be a real legacy once. But for those candidates, you're going to have to emerge as somebody who could be 
that person beyond Donald Trump. All right. A couple quick reactions to what you just said. I was told by a very well-placed little birdie last week leading up to this speech that coming off of what happened in this election, there was initially uh, some mixed thoughts about mounting another presidential campaign at his age. Sheldon Adelson was a huge proponent of him running again. Um, One of the few GOP donors, mega donors like the Mercers who are actually have some conservative principles. Well, he obviously passed away, Mm -hmm. Um, but he did some initial, um, uh, you know, looking around and found on a much larger scale what I found a few years ago when I flirted with, could I do something else for a living other than politics? The reality is no. Um, The other things that you would be good at publicly, your political persona has tainted those Mm -hmm. given the nature of the country where Oreo wants to tweet out its trans virtue signal. um, You're scarlet lettered. And that essentially this is the only thing he can really do right now is politics mm-hmm. the idea he was just going to go back and re and, and right reclaim his financial empire in today's economic climate in the culture war that's not available and so he's definitely going to run provided his health holds up if that's the case then uh doesn't this create sort of a shadow primary for a running mate where you're going to see the likes of Noam, DeSantis, others are going to be omnipresent at events on Fox News. Because if you're his, we could all, even without having a primary in this cycle, if he runs again, you can almost actually be deciding the next couple of GOP primaries, right? Because whoever his, his running mate has a huge leg up on the competition. And then thirdly, let's say over the next two or three years, you know, the median age of life expectancy in America is 78. He's going to surpass that between now and the next GOP convention. Go watch clips of Joe Biden. I'm guessing he's probably lived a healthier lifestyle than Trump overall. Um, Go watch clips of Joe Biden four years ago compared to what you're seeing right now. And you're seeing a rapid rate of deterioration. Let's say his health does not permit him to run. And then because this whole process has been frozen, if you already have an established organization, a name ID, the idea that a Ted Cruz is going to come from nothing to almost winning the nomination, I don't see how you have time to, to terraform from ground zero an organization. If he can't run, you're going to look at people like suddenly a guy whose name's not being named a, a lot like right now is Cruz. Mm-hmm. Suddenly a guy with a pre-existing organization, high name ID, suddenly he vaults much higher if Trump doesn't run because he can he can go from zero to 60 day one. What are your thoughts on, on those three points? Well, let me react to a lot of that. Well, number one is what is Trump's legacy going to be? Uh, if his legacy is no, we're really going to win back the House in 2022 and win back the U.S. Senate in 2022. And all of a sudden he's viewed as being a major cause of that. That's a huge legacy bump. If he's the one who gets behind somebody in 2024 and wins, that's a huge legacy bump. Mm-hmm. If he divides the party because my base is here, yours over there, and all of a sudden Nancy Pelosi gets a bigger majority, Schumer gets a bigger majority, and we lose to Kamala Harris in 2024, that's a bad legacy. My guess is he's weighing all of that. That said, what I did is I went to Twitter feeds last night after Trump's speech. I looked at what Christine Noem said. I looked at what uh, Nikki Haley said, DeSantis. They're all praising Trump, Cruz, the whole deal. And that's smart right now. You don't want to make that base upset. But if I'm them... I'm going to the Family Leadership Summit that the Family Leader puts on in July. Why? I'm getting my name idea. Just what you said. I'm getting my name idea. At worst, I'm putting my bid in to be the running mate to Trump. 
However, it could be when Trump says, you know, I'm not going to do this gig again. Now you've got a leg up to say, I've at least saved off some of that to say that Ted Cruz has got that built in. You might have a little bit more of that yourself now to say you have a you have a shot at a candidacy. All right, here's clip two. Trump at CPAC yesterday talking about uh, the next election cycle in 2022. Now more than ever is the time for tough, strong, and energetic Republican leaders who have spines of steel. We need strong leadership. We cannot have leaders who show more passion for condemning their fellow Americans than they have ever shown for standing up to Democrats, the media, and the radicals who want to turn America into a socialist country. Instead of attacking me, and more importantly, the voters of our movement, Top establishment Republicans in Washington should be spending their energy in opposing Biden, Pelosi, Schumer, and the Democrats. I've said to some of them, I said, you know, during the Obama years and now during Biden, if you spent the same energy on attacking them, you'd actually be successful, as you do on attacking me in many cases. The Democrats don't have grandstanders like Mitt Romney, Little Ben Sass, Richard Burr, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Pat. So he went on there to name a bunch of names. Now, for this, I'm all in for this. This thing's needed an enema my whole career. I built a career after going after these kinds of people in Iowa. And I'd love to see him do this. But I got to say, man, a good friend of mine was down there meeting with him about this last week calls me up all excited. I think he's going in, man. He's going in heavy in these primary cycles. Get rid of these cats. The next day, they put out a press release endorsing Jerry Moran at Kansas, one of the worst, worst rhinos in the U.S. Senate. Okay. So I I, I want to see the political bodies hit the floor before I, I, I start getting giddy. But I will admit, that's my love language. Bob, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, the, the beginning part of that clip, when he said, we need people with spines of steel, who actually have some boldness and courage and understand we're going we're to take a stand for some things, I am all in. When he starts calling out names, you bet, call out names. His big thing, though, again, back to legacy, even if you defeat him, does your candidate win? Your candidate's got to win now. Because if it doesn't, they're going to say, you, you blew this whole thing up. Mm-hmm. So I think what it is, what we said has been so good about a Trump presidency and now what he's even doing at CPAC He's exposed a lot of people. He's exposed the media. He's exposed the Republican establishment. He's exposed people of faith. He's exposed a lot of people for what's their real motive. Why are they really into this thing? What he's saying now is that we need real people with real motivation, real courage, who's not about just playing politics as usual, but wanting to get something done and understand what team they play for. I think it's a a really good message. I said to a friend of mine last week, Trump is easily distracted. There's going to be numerous people in his ear trying to channel this energy in the way they want. You need a you need a theme. To, you need a theme that is a plumb line that sort of sets a foundation of how you're going to do this. So you're not just spraying buckshot everywhere. And then and and the, you need a standard more of did this person say something mean about Donald Trump once? So that means they're terrible, right? You got to right. have more than that. To me, the theme is make the red counties and red states red again. That's your theme. Exactly. And every in every red state. Every red state, Marco Rubio ought to be the those floor of how conservative the senator is. That, that's that's the baseline of where it begins, right? In every red state, 
in every in every red district. All right. Then same thing. Every red, every district where it's plus five, six or more Republican, every state where it's clear that that, that a Democrat is not winning a statewide race unless you guys nominate a child molester. All right. That person that that to me ought to be where the energy is targeted is you build the foundation there first, where the places where you hold clear majorities, whatever you think of Liz Cheney, if, you, if that's the best you can get to represent you in Massachusetts, that's one thing you can do a hell of a lot better than that in Wyoming, where there's like three three Democrats in the whole damn state. That to me is where the where the energy needs to be targeted. And what he's saying is that when the blue when the left wins and you have a blue wave, they go for broke. Right. They run as far left as they can. Right. It seems like when the other side wins, it's like we just go to the left a little bit slower. Right. And he's saying, no, we need to go to the right. You need to conserve something. And that's your values and your principles to make this country great again. And we have time for this last clip. We will. Yeah. All right. One last clip. Bob. Watch this. And women are incensed that they are now being forced to compete against those who are biological males. It's not good for women. It's not good for women's sports, which worked so long and so hard to get to where they are. The records that stood for years, even decades, are now being smashed with ease. Smashed. If this is not change, women's sports, as we know it, will die. They'll end. It'll end. What coach, if I'm a coach, you know, I want to be a great coach. What coach, as an example, wants to recruit a young woman to compete if her record can easily be broken by somebody who was born a man? All right, we got about a minute here. I want to give you a chance to respond to that. What do you think? Common sense. I think he's speaking right to, uh, you know, the American, you know, love language of males are males and females are females. Todd's got two uh, and probably more daughters who are great athletes. You don't want to see males competing against your daughters. And what he's saying, this is just, this is nonsense. This is insane. Let's get back to common sense. And what he's really pointing out is their whole leadership, their whole vision for this country is insane. You don't want to go down this route. Man, <laughs> if I go back, if I hop into DeLorean and go back to 2014, 2013, you and I have been friends, good friends for a long time. I go back to 2013, 2014. Todd and Aaron aren't even working here yet. All right. And I look, I said, Bob, all right, put all your money, put, bet your mortgage on this. Donald freaking Trump is going to run for president one day on the fact that, and as he put it yesterday, we need to conserve and maintain our traditions, morals, history, and legacy of working class and traditional Americana. And he was even going to verbalize this. You think what, if I tell you that, six, seven years ago? I think he was trying to to, to, to to make a play inside the Republican Party to be a nominee, but he really didn't mean it. Right now, when you're watching him speak this, you're seeing a guy who's 70-some years old saying, I mean this. This is the future of a country right I, now. I would not have even thought to even think that that. I mean, first of all, you'd have to give me a meth test. I mean, but, <laughs> but here we are. Good to see you, brother. God bless you guys. All right. It's our Monday Town Hall. Ask Me Anything is next. Stay tuned.
And we're back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Totters and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook, MeWe, Gab, Parlor. Look for Steve Dace. Uh, and all of those places, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And if you're looking for clips of the program that you can watch for free, share, I hope, with others. Go to YouTube.com slash Steve Dace or go to Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. If you're a podcast listener, we appreciate you tuning in. We get a, a, a growing podcast audience. We would ask, though, that you guys also show your appreciation for us. Hit that subscribe button, whichever podcast platform you use. Leave us a five-star review, especially if you're listening via uh, the iTunes uh, podcast uh, platform, uh, because the more of those we get, the more it helps the podcast to grow. We want to thank all of you that have done those things for us already. This portion of the show brought to you by our good friends over at Built Bar. You know, I was deciding what to bring in today during for my Built Bar breaks, and I noticed I still had some candy cane mint brownie left over from the Christmas seasonal flavor. And today's weather is looks like it's going to be the last mildly chilly day. Yeah. So it's kind of yeah. I kind of thought you know what? I'm in the mood for it. So I'm, I'm just telling you, you've never had a protein bar this good. You have not had some candy bars that are this good. They've reintroduced the chocolate chip cookie dough flavor. It is it's insanely good. Last week, I let you try the the coconut mint brownie or the coconut brownie chunk. How good was that? Right. I wanted another. They sold that thing out very, very quickly. Folks, well over 20 flavors, all of them covered in real chocolate. Make sure you pay attention when they bring the white chocolate line back. Make sure you get the white chocolate sea salt caramel. That's one of the best ones I've tried as well. All right, but um, less than five carbs in every bar, less than five grams of sugar in every bar, uh, 160 calories or less in every bar. So whether it's carbs, sugar, um, calories that uh, that are part of your healthy lifestyle, this fits into all of them. It will definitely Definitely, uh, if you've got a sweet tooth, it'll cure that and give you up to 20 grams of protein in every bar as well. All right, so if you want to give it a shot, BuiltBar.com is where you can go for 20% off your first order. That's B-U-I-L-T at BuiltBar.com. Now, maybe you've tried it before and you're like, you know what, I got to get me some more of those again. Now you can get 20% off your next order as well when you go to BuiltBar.com. In both cases, you just need to use my last name, Dace. D-E-A-C-E. And get 20% off your first or next order when you go to BuiltBar.com. All right, let's begin. It's our Monday Town Hall. It's our weekly Ask Me Anything. And we welcome back online our followers over at Parlor. It is good to have you back. I must admit, I had my doubts that it was ever going to return. But thankfully, it is now here. So let us begin. Here's how the drill works. I put out the invite for the questions. I then look at none of them. Todd, you select the questions and hand them to Aaron. And I get blindsided live on the air by whichever subjects, topics you want me to address. Because that's the way I like it. It's my favorite thing to do. Um, I'm hoping maybe later this year, I've got something booked in South Dakota already. I can get back out and do uh, some more of the uh, public speaking thing. It's one of my favorite things to do to directly engage the audience. Obviously, the last year plus with COVID and everything else, that's kind of been off the, off the grid. But my favorite part is I always leave time at the end for snotty questions for a Q&A, right? Yes. So let's do some snotty questions. Aaron. We'll start with J.P. Glock, who says, would it make sense for Trump to run for New York governor? So I was um, 
I was actually auditioning for afternoon drive for Salem Broadcasting at the time that they were the New York Republican Party was trying to convince him to run for governor. And I know about that because that's back when I had access to Trump because he was actually had his eyes on the presidency instead. Um, I, I would say. No. Uh, I actually think I don't know what the odds are that he could win a general election again. Um, I think you have to assess him as a as a Republican nominee in 2024, separate from literally any other name that could potentially win it because he's so much more defined in the eyes of the public. And that there's a general election concern with him, I think, in that there is, I know we, we bag on Karens in suburbia, but you know, there's a lot of other suburban women, all three of us are married to them, that would typically at least be friendly to a message, uh, the Trump side of the message, who also just didn't like the persona and didn't vote for him. I, I don't know if Trump, from an ego standpoint, or at this age, you know, I'm, I'm going to be heading into my 50s here in a few years. I'm starting to feel like, yeah, I don't feel like evolving anymore. I don't feel like changing anymore. I would imagine if I'm 75 and a billionaire, I'm probably coming up with a lot more more justifications. What do you mean I have to change? I have to, oh, yeah, I've got to evolve. I'm a friggin' billionaire. I've been president of the United States, right? I, I don't see him, I think the odds that he will alter his approach to try to win back that block that's been lost. I mean, the number one reason, other than voter fraud, uh, the number one reason Democrats had political success after Trump's election, winning 40 House seats in 2018, and then capturing the presidency in 2020 is that okay that was that I, a good word oh yeah. i think we need to trademark the use of that word in yeah this capturing context. yeah yeah okay yeah, I, I, capturing the presidency in 2020 is that all right everybody all right with that one hostaging yeah, just as long, just as, long <laughs> as you say it with a yeah, yeah okay good um is the loss of suburban women he hemorrhaged them i i don't know how that approach gets altered, especially when I mean, look at the speech he gave yesterday. That kind of act and persona turns those women off. It just does. I mean, we have the, the data to indicate that it does, unfortunately. Okay, so um, I and I would think, therefore, it'd be even harder to, to win as governor of New York than president of the United States. Yeah. Even harder. Um, so I would say, no, it doesn't make any sense. You're correct. Okay. Moving on. Uh, late 0878. I'm, I'm sorry. Some of these usernames are, are incomprehensible to me. Is it true that other countries are refusing to allow distribution of the COVID vaccines? I not, there has been, there was a country and I can't remember who it was early on who shut down one of the vaccines. Uh, and I want to say it was a Scandinavian country, but I, I don't remember which one exactly. So I don't I don't want to even venture a guess and be wrong about a topic of this magnitude. Um, what I think is more interesting 
is that Israel is the most vaccinated country per capita in the world right now. And it is still seeing its cases go up. Now, from my perspective, that doesn't necessarily argue against the efficacy of the vaccine. Because what did I say last hour when talking about Christine Ohm? This whole focus on the case amount is a scam. She was right to prioritize what really matters. Look at, look at the way Johnson & Johnson is marketing its vaccine. It's openly admitting, it's not throwing out some like 98% effectiveness figure like we heard from um, the other two. It's saying it's about 65% effective is what they found in their human trials. But what are they emphasizing in Johnson & Johnson's corporate messaging? Prophylactic against death, morbidity, and reductions, mass reductions in hospitalizations. Meaning that, and I'm not, a, you know, I'm, I'm not um, an immunologist, but from a marketing standpoint, I am a political marketer. From a marketing standpoint, what they're messaging to people is that it's really a therapeutic against serious COVID infection. More than a cure. To me, that's really good. The idea that these things are instantaneous cures and we were going to come up with these things in a matter of months is just not realistic. But the problem somebody like Benjamin Netanyahu has is his entire justification for the lockdown fetish. I mean, New Zealand just went into a fourth lockdown over the weekend. One case. One case. New Zealand went into a fourth lockdown and its parliament is considering legislation where they're literally going to go door to door about whether you are obeying the lockdown protocols. One case. If, if your goal is that there can be zero COVID, you're, you're never going to accomplish that. But you're just never going to accomplish that. This is far more infectious than SARS-1. And so it's too far into the populace to just burn out and disappear the way SARS-1 did. We're too far, there's too many infections now for it to just burn out. Far more likely is it'll be with us for the rest of our lives as some kind of a reduced risk contagion that eventually evolves into some kind of seasonality like other coronaviruses that are, have evolved into colds and things of that nature. That's far more likely. The idea that we're just going to get up one day in August and this thing just is gone, like what happened with SARS-1, I think it's way too spread around the world now. It's way too infectious now. That's not going to happen. But we have a lot of people that believe that they, they can't leave or can't be safe at all if there's any COVID at all. Well, the priority is the results, of the, the most damaging results of what COVID does. The idea they're just going to eradicate it itself, that's not happening folks um and so now netanyahu finds himself trapped because the vaccination results are going against his own political messaging you tell people you got to lock down you have to do the worst some of the worst lockdowns in the world take no tourists which is a huge a huge component of the israeli economy for how long now but we're gonna and we're gonna do this mass vaccination program but the cases still go up now you're trapped now people feel like there's going to be a bait and switch that you've pulled on them. That's why that's why the we've never done a huge focus on cases on this show.
It is true that cases have gone down over 70% since January the 8th. The rate of daily cases, I should say, to be more precise. That is true. But what's more important is hospitalizations have declined at a substantial amount during that point in time as well. That's what really matters. Remember, what was the original premise of, of lockdowns? It was to do what? Flatten the curve of hospitalizations in America so we wouldn't crush the system. And that should remain our goal. If we're not, if we're not overwhelming the hospital systems, then there's no points to any lockdowns. Next question. Constitutional Dad says, is it time for churches to completely disregard the Johnson Amendment and let loose with the evangelism that is 100% applicable to the age we live in? Uh, absolutely. For those of you that don't know, the, the Johnson Amendment is a stipulation that was put into the IRS code by Lyndon Johnson, who was upset about churches that were particularly going after him. Okay. Now, here's what you also may not know about the Johnson Amendment. I believe it's only like two or three churches ever have faced any form of IRS prosecution from this, like in 60 years. And one of them was actually a left-wing church. About 10 years ago, a group of churches around the country organized by uh, David Bartnett Wall Builders and Alliance De Defending Freedom and others, uh, they put together, see, cause, and this goes to the mask issue too. Because I'm hearing from a lot of you, hey, I tried walking into my store with a mask and they got all over me and threw me out. Don't do that by yourself. You need to get like 20 of you that walk in there together and do it. Make them throw all of you out. Dare them to do that. Make a, you know, the triple braided cord is tougher to break. Show a united front. And along those lines... They, a group of pastors from all over the country, so it was just one guy. Easy to take him out. He's just one, right? But a whole group of them agreed. They, they called it Pulpit Freedom Sunday, I want to say. And they all agreed that they were going to defy the Johnson Amendment by preaching a sermon either, either right out of the Revolutionary War era where you had the black-robed regiment or something that directly implicated a contemporary politician on a matter where he was, uh, he or she was anathema to scriptural teaching. And they all agreed to do this on one Sunday together. And then they all agreed to send the transcripts and or recordings of their sermons to the IRS to dare them to prosecute them with the hopes that they could get this into a federal court to set a precedent that would crush the Johnson Amendment. Would you, now, this was during the Obama presidency is when this occurred. I think it was about 10 years ago. Would you like to know how many of those churches all over the country, one of them, a pastor here in Sioux City, Iowa, who's a good friend of mine, was one of the pastors involved in that. Would you like to know how many of those churches that dared the Obama administration to come after them. How many of them? That's the same Obama administration that tried to sue nuns. Would you like to know how many of those pastors the Obama administration said, I'm your Huckleberry, let's do this. Would you like to know what the number is? Small. It was small. The smallest number. Zero. They didn't challenge any of them. So, I mean, the Johnson Amendment, if, if your church, there's, let me say this, there are good reasons to avoid direct political confrontation in a pulpit when it comes to partisan political activity. Number one, I would say is 
the vast majority of people that are that are elected in both parties aren't worth aren't worth it. They're not worth it. Number one. Number two, I spent a lot of years of my career trying to organize churches politically and and almost regret it now. Because ultimately, I thought we could I thought we could do this in ways where we didn't fall into party idolatry. Not true. So I mean there, there's there's broader issues that we could have a conversation about why it's a bad idea for churches to directly get involved from a partisan standpoint. But that's a separate conversation from the Johnson Amendment. That that's you as a congregation making that decision for you and your congregation, your church family. Corporately, the Johnson Amendment is a dead letter. And there and if you belong to a church and that is your pastor's excuse when you ask them, how come we're not talking about these things? He's a hack. Okay? He's a hack. Out of touch, wimp, hack. One of those three things, all bad. The Johnson Amendment is a nothing. Complete, total, nothing burger, no threat whatsoever. It's a dead letter. It's, it's a paper mache. There's no there there. There's, that's no, that is not a reason for your church to not take a stand on anything. Up next, Corey Tacker says, are you concerned about a defamation suit over your book about Fauci? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not concerned about this. Number one, I would, I would I welcome it. One, yeah. yes. I would welcome this. Discovery would that, be the dis- great. Yeah, yes. the, the, that a discovery process would be a cornucopia, a treasure trove of, of tasty, juicy nuggets, tasty morsels. Yes. Um, injected directly into all of our veins. Never, this no, would never no it, that. I'm far more concerned that Amazon won't sell the book. That's far more likely to happen Correct. than this. A shunning is far more likely to happen. It, it, a shunning is 10,000 times more likely to happen. A memory holding is 10,000 times more likely to happen than that. That, that level, that would be a divine act. For, for them to come out, for him to come out of hiding and say, I have to take this on. First of all, if you, if you know He's me. He's just thin-skinned enough, though. Yeah. Pray, first of all, be, yes. be praying he does this, number one. Number two, if you know how I roll. This, this book isn't going to have more pages of footnotes than pages, but it's going to have a lot and a lot of footnotes. You know me, I do my homework. This is, gonna, this is going to be documented over and over and over and over and over again. And the other thing that the manuscript does is it really focuses primarily on, two, on three to five um, of, of, of his variants. Yes, we'll go with that word. Of his variants during this last year. Because the more you expand, you know, I learned this deconstructing Mitt Romney's facade when he was running for president here in the Iowa caucuses. I mean, I had years and years and full audio files with dozens upon dozens of clips that I could nail him with. But if I fire every one of them, that gets to be white noise. People don't have, they can't pay attention to that. You know, there's an old line from the old disc jockey days on radio that just when the DJ is getting sick of a new song, that's just when the audience is beginning to dig it, right? Okay. I knew that if I just sit here and here's Romney on this and I, you know, it would, I would entertain myself with the notion of the extensive amount of work I had done on this, but the audience would just be overwhelmed. So instead what I did is I focused on five to eight of the most damning ones and drove those into the ground. 
to the point that people were after a while begging me to stop playing them. That's now when I know that mind share is market share and market share is mind share. I've, I've penetrated the subconscious now. You're, you're, you can mouth the words. You know what I'm going to say or he's going to say. And we take a similar approach here in this Fauci book. You're going to see a few things are highlighted repeatedly throughout the book. Um, and that's also to rein us in. You try to hit them on 75 fronts and you're going to get sloppy. Just, you know, stick major, uh, you know, uh, major in the majors here. And the book will do that. But we would welcome that. Number one. Number two, we have a publisher. They've got legalities to deal with. You know, they're going to go through this with a fine tooth comb as well. But number three, revert back to number one. I mean, I, w- I would love to see. I, I mean, it, that'd be the greatest gift of my career if Anthony Fauci. It would be that. the Tony Stark gift from the beginning of Iron Man, no the explosion question. in the background. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just. You know, I'm, my name, I'm, I'm, I'm two sterile farmers in Kansas driving down a dirt road one day and a spaceship's on the side of the road with a lasso of Krypton in it. And now I've got a baby. Okay. I mean, it'd be that kind of just gobsmacked level of luck. All right. Uh, do you have a name for the book yet? Uh, yes. I don't know if will you I'm tell allowed. me uh, off the air. I will. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Next, uh, the gray men says, should we take any confidence in the recent legislative efforts in contentious states like Georgia and Pennsylvania to beef up their voting requirements? Yes, you should. Um, number one, take confidence that obviously your initial complaints have some merit by virtue of the fact that they want to do something about them now. So uh, there was no evidence. This is all made up blah, 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 blah. Um, They wouldn't be doing something about it now if that were the case. There's two reasons they're doing something about it now. And I don't know which it is. It would probably depend on each individual. Number one, they saw that not doing something about it before left a good portion of their base on the sidelines. And that's why they lost the last election. And so they know they need to serve and cater to you. That's good. They're supposed to serve and cater to you. Um, You're the people. You're the power, not them. Number two, uh, they're concerned about their next election, <laughs> All right? And and this playbook getting run back at them, okay? And um, now, who knows? In each case, with each legislator, each governor, is it one or two? Is it a little bit of both? It probably varies to each particular person. But those two reasons um, are the driving force of this. And either with either one of those, you should take confidence in that. I mean, what what the state of Georgia is admitting, with the state of Georgia, and gosh, you know, I just had that conversation with Vanderplatz last hour, that if I hopped into DeLorean and him and I were just sitting around in 2013, 2014 talking, and that we're going to, and I was going to tell him, I'm going to predict that Donald Trump is going to give a speech at CPAC, that the vision of the Republican Party needs to be to conserve and preserve our rights, traditions, and values of America. He would have thought, dude, when did you start doing meth, right? Yeah. Okay. If you'd have told me last June or July that in, by the end of the year I would just be uh, just systemically disappointed in the governor of Georgia, dude, I was I was I was willing to call the 2024 Iowa caucuses for Brian Kemp about the Fourth of July. <laughs> All right. I mean, if if they now need to make it a law that you need voter ID to vote 
remotely by absentee. That means what what wasn't the law before this then? That you didn't need ID. Yeah. Which means what what didn't you need an ID to vote in the 2020 election? Absentee. Otherwise, they wouldn't need to make a law that you do now. And I'll ask this question again. For those of you that defend the Georgia Secretary of State and his actions, and I have friends of mine that I deeply respect and care about that hold this position. And I'd ask them too. How did you do an audit of the absentee ballots if it was never required that someone needed photo ID to verify themselves? What would be the process of that? The only audit I think you could do is, does the amount of applications and the ballots themselves add up? That would be some form of an audit. Would it be sufficient? No. No. Because it still doesn't tell me how many of those names are legit. How many of those people are legitimate? How did you, how did you audit your state's results without... Unless, unless, did you go back to it, every one of those people and get a sworn affidavit signing off under the penalty of perjury? Yes, that's my signature and that's my ballot. Do you think they did that between November, the, 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 the first Wednesday in November, the day after, and the Georgia Senate runoff? When was that? Like d- December? Gen- well, it was in January. Was it in January? Well, okay. I think so, yeah. Do you think they did that in those 40 something days? No, no, it would take longer than that, I would guess, for a vote of this magnitude. Do you remember geometry in high school and we had to do proofs, side angle, side and all that stuff? Yeah. But four or five, it got more complex. A lot of these cases in multiple states, it seemed like if they just showed one one step in a five proof process, that was going to be enough. Like, oh, we gave it the old college try. That's what you're describing. Yeah. When you said you actually match the application to the ballot, it's it's one step. It is a step, but yeah. it's not it's not all of it. But they just they they are so used to making people go away. Yes, that they just like it's like your kid says, "Well, I clean my room." Yes, okay, I made my bed. Is that a vital component of cleaning it's, your room? It is or I I took my laundry down to the laundry room. Yeah, but is that the whole of the process? Not even close. No, it's not. So I. Just because the the applications and the names add up, I mean, that's a good start. That, that's a good start. I'll even grant you that that's a good start for your process. But it doesn't tell me that the names themselves are legitimate. It doesn't tell me that the names themselves are legitimate. I mean, if the names are fake, then you still have a fake vote, whether there's congruency between the amount of ballots and the amount of applications. How are the people themselves that cast the ballots verified how are they verifiable and that shouldn't be too much to ask given what's at stake you want to know what's at stake literally the future of the country i'm not even talking about your differences of opinion with who wins or loses i'm talking about like the dissolving of the union itself if we do not trust that ultimately the voting process is one of integrity. Then you put yourself in a position where people decide, I guess I just got to take this into my own hands then. That's you know why we got a Second Amendment, I suppose. Civil war it is. And that has nothing to do with QAnon or anything like no, that. That's all of that's human math, history. That's, that's historical math. Yes. I, I would like to avoid that math. 
I'd like to avoid that math. I've got numerous complaints and laments and Romans 1 concerns about the direction of America. I also, though, as a human being in a mortal coil, cannot think of a better place to live than this one. A better place where I can take time off to watch the NSA tournament in a couple of weeks. Hang out with my kid. It's also his spring break, so my son and I can sit in the man cave and just watch March Madness for you know two days and uh, as sloths and get paid. That's a pretty good life. It is. I'd like to not blow that up. But we're threatening to do it if people believe and are given evidence for the fact. All right, you heard my grievance and I lost, but at least I was heard. I matter. You mean I don't matter? You just F you? Screw you? We just, get, we just do what we want? All right, then. Lock and load. I, I would like to avoid. I'd like to not get to that final zero-sum step. I'd like that. But if you take election integrity away from people to a very dark path, this goes. We'll come back. More of your town hall questions, courtesy of our parlor followers when we return. We all know the detrimental impact of too much screen time for our kids these days, whether it's just the content they're watching by itself or the shortening of attention spans or less uh, creativity. We need better ways for our children and grandchildren to be using their downtime. That's why I want to tell you about Annie's Kit Clubs. They've got the perfect subscription box for both boys and girls for the boys. They've got the woodworker's kit, minimal supervision, all the material and tools that your boy needs to put together a craft project with minimal supervision. And for the girls, creative kit clubs with two fun craft projects every month. Easy to follow instructions that kickstart her creativity through painting, beading, and more. So help your kids develop actual skills, master real world building, or new crafting techniques that also help express their creativity. When you go to Annie's A-N-N-I-E-S Annie's kitclubs.com slash Steve, you'll save 75% off your first shipment when you do, so a huge discount there. At Annie's kitclubs.com Slash Steve again seventy five percent off your first shipment at Annie's slash Steve. Let's continue with our Monday Town Hall. It's Parlor's turn. Good to have them back for an Ask Me Anything. Aaron Weimer twenty two says, "Is it possible that COVID will lead to a great awakening? Like so many others, I subscribed to the Blaze almost a year ago in search of the truth. In that search, I found your show, and it has opened my mind in ways I cannot than the three of you. Um, in ways I cannot than the three of you for uh, think think the three of you." For enough as I is your struggle own typo. Uh, that's my with the it must English be that's it must be language. Um, I think it's yeah. I I mean, listen, you know, um, my all time favorite scripture is Romans chapter eight. I think that entire chapter is um, a zenith of eloquence, soaring prose. To me, it's money line is all things work together for the glory of God and for those called according to his purposes, meaning that a a sovereign God determines the worth and value of circumstances and outcomes beyond our comprehension. And part of our faith is to trust that even when we don't recognize it at the time. Um. If, if And then you look in the Old Testament and you see what Joseph says to his brothers. 
If you had not sold me into that slavery, I wouldn't be here today to save God's people from this fa- from this famine. But that chain of events, what you intended for evil, Joseph says, God used for good. That that chain of events, even the experience, the unfairness I had being unfairly imprisoned because of Potiphar's wife. That experience, that chain of events, God was able to sovereignly then use to bring me to this point now that I'm here to preserve the covenant. I can do it. I'm the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. So that's that's the benefit of being on the side of the only undefeating, undefeated being in the history of the cosmos. And you can see some areas already where I think we have we have gotten unforeseen benefit out of this. Number one, I I, I would say, and I've mentioned this before, to me, still the most shocking aspect of this. You know, I was looking at some tweets from those the scientists involved in the Great Barrington Declaration. Just, I think it was this morning, even. I, there is still a large segment of critical thinking in academia. An area that, let's face it, a lot of us on the right have just considered forsaken lands, right? You're seeing there's, a, there's quite a bit of it. Now, I, I still think it's people that probably have a wrong view of what the origins of the earth and human species is and things of that nature. But in some respects, that's even more more encouraging that when they had all the bias to go along with this and their past associations, to then have them look at this and say, what? WTF? What? What? Not, this is this is a joke, right? I, I think that has been, and I hope in the future now, we have we have we have a real world example to go back to some of those people. Now that they've demonstrated they can critically think, when this issue is over, we now have a real world issue to go back a precedent to go back to them and say, You sure they're not you're not getting uh coronavirus again on blankety blank on fifty seven genders, for example. So I think that has been of a benefit. I think anytime you know what people's true motivations are and they're revealed to you, it is a benefit. It's just we often seek to not acquire this knowledge because it also comes at a pretty high cost. It, it usually it, it, it comes with a bumper sticker uh, from Lord of the Rings. Our list of allies grows thin, Aragorn. But me, I'd always rather have a small, committed group backing me up than a wide swath of people who are just along for the ride. And the minute somebody shows them some leg that's prettier than mine, they just, you know, go flock the mob flocks to that. That's number two. I think you've seen nefarious forces at work in our culture you've seen their credibility utterly annihilated and destroyed through this process. Irreparably so. I mean, what's happened with hydroxychloroquine, for example, I mean, that might be the best example, actually. So uh, there have been some unforeseen benefits. Maybe another, maybe another benefit that we'll be blessed to look back on this one day and see is... We really took all the blessings as a people we are no longer worthy of for granted. 
having those things taken away for a while makes you realize, you know, we, we kind of had it pretty good here. Really sure we want to blow this thing up? Really? So I, I think that, the, that, now this does not mean, by the way, that, that God approves of the evil that is done. Right? Paul says we don't do evil so that good may come. What it does mean is that a sovereign God can take our nefarious plots and flip the script on us and use it for his purposes and for righteousness. That's what it means. Good question. Next. Bill Caldera, 1963, says, Is Todd really a Catholic? Because I find myself admiring him more each day. <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know how you feel. You know, I've never asked you this question privately, so let me ask it publicly. How do you feel about being every evangelical's favorite Catholic? I mean, do you lose any Catholic street cred with that? I mean, is it like being um, the the everybody's favorite lib on Fox? Is that what it's like or I, not? I lose I lose Catholic street cred for all kinds of other reasons. It has nothing to do with what they know about evangelicals uh, thinking. I I find this hilarious because it always makes me wonder what exactly are we taught about Catholicism? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and and yeah. and in their defense, also what you see, especially right now. Uh, Pope Francis, the abuse scandals, you have a right to have questions. Um, but I, I just find this fascinating because it seems to come up enough that it's, they just, I, I don't know what they thought about it before they saw me. I don't know. I mean, I, it's a really big church, yep. a worldwide church. I, it just surprises me. You've never run across to anybody remotely like me. That's sad. And that's on us. So like one of the, one of the things you hear I, th- I hear this from my own pastor, who I think grew up Catholic. You know, he won't say Catholic directly, and I think he's right to do so, but he says, hey, I grew up in a church. We had a lot of pomp and circumstance, but nobody ever really showed me I needed to repent of my sins, that, I, that, that, that God, that ultimately God wanted through Christ an individual relationship with me, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's a lot of... And and I'm not I'm not paper macheing over the differences of opinion we have. Okay, we just had a difference of opinion about this just the other day on the show, mm-hmm. right? But it, Todd and I are totally fine having this argument, provided we're actually having an argument, a, a worthy one, not one based on cliches one has about the other side. Because the truth of the matter is, I, there's there's an awful lot of places where that would have evangelical in their term in, in, in their in their branding where you're also probably not told about the need to repent of your sins and a personal relationship but that you know the, the guy who presides over the most populated evangelical church in America you know I have his game behind me over my shoulder I, I love it when you guys send me emails I was really digging your show and then I saw the Joel Osteen book what's with that what's well, there to trigger you uh, uh, of uh, a friend a friend of mine Todd Friel who is an, uh, has an apologist show and he's a fantastic radio host yeah he sent this to me as a gag gift uh, actually kind of as a housewarming gag gift when we moved to this new studio and we played it on the air once it's every bit as damnable as you might even suspect maybe worse isn't the whole game based on something called wonder words or something yeah yeah, yeah. okay well in the eyes of america joel osteen's the most popular evangelical minister in america and yet in on most sundays you would find no real key tenets 
of, of, of scripture at all. And when, when scripture is brought up, it's really as, as a means to an end to justify whatever narrative he wants to, uh, he wants to sell you that day. So I, but I guess if he doesn't do it in an ornate hood, um, uh, you know, hood ornament and, and robes, then I guess it's, you know, it's just wrongful error. See, to me, error is error, regardless of what garb or ceremonial um, tradition uh, the, the guy in the pulpit prescribes to. So Todd and I have no issue. We just, you guys probably weren't here. Some of you weren't in 2017, given the growth of this show, but we did an entire year of shows of Theology Thursday, all on the Reformation on its 500th anniversary. And we had a lot of those disagreements between the two sides out in the open. What him and I are concerned about as learned laymen, though, is that often the Catholic Protestant argument that most Americans think are what Catholics and Protestants argue about really aren't the actual argument, but they're cliches, stereotypes, you know? So, um, if I thought the Catholic Church was the one true church, guess where I would go to church on Sunday? To a Catholic church. But I also don't believe that prior to the Protestant, that, that everybody who subscribes to Catholicism is not saved. By that argument, then you're essentially, then who, how did people get saved from like the second century until Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the wall? So Augustine. No, Augustine's a no for you? Aquinas. That's a neg- Aquinas negatory. He doesn't count. I mean, I, I just think a lot of these things are cliches. If you want to have an, or, or, or really political narratives to justify your particular tribalism, you guys want to have the actual historical theological arguments. Dude, we're down to clown with that. It's just a lot of what goes on here. Isn't, that's not it. It's, it's just it's trolling that is then um, magnified to something higher because it's couched in theological terms as opposed to Republicans versus Democrats. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. Okay. Having said all that, uh, Todd, you need to repent and believe the gospel. Yeah, Next, I'm- Stevie and Ryan's... <laughs> TV and Ryan say, honestly, what's more likely to happen? The secession of Texas, the formation of Greater Idaho, the Convention of States, return of free and fair elections, or Steve speaking at CPAC? Oh, wow. Wow. I'm going to let you guys answer that one. Uh, I, don't, is, I think it's CPAC still. Do you? Yeah. Is Greater Idaho a thing? Yeah, some, some counties in Oregon... Apparently want to uh, oh. want to join Idaho, nice. and uh, they'd call themselves Greater Idaho. There's some of that going on. Also, counties in Colorado want to join Wyoming. I believe. I could see that. Yeah. So yeah, let's go with Greater Idaho. Then. Greater Idaho. Okay. I probably would have guessed Convention of States as the better shot to happening, just because they're so far along in that process compared to the others. But okay. I noticed that no one even contemplated me speaking at CPAC. No one even, you guys didn't even like humor that, entertain it. I did. I said that was the most. Did you guys, I didn't watch like any of this over the weekend. I was watching College Hoops, man, and finishing a book. But I, but I, it it was, did my eyes betray me or did my social media account pop up a video of Alex Berenson speaking at CPAC? Oh, I kind of remember that. Yeah. He announced that a few weeks ago. Now, listen, man, I think we were the first show to have him on, like ever, about this. He's like the OG. If there's anybody that that got on this before us, it would be him, right? We've got, we want nothing but the best for him. Love the guy. He's been on our show how many times? But guys, he's not, Alex is, he'll tell you, he's not even a conservative. There's a, he used to write for the New York Times. 
he spoke at CPAC before I did. And that's why you guys were right, just to not even entertain the notion. Nope. That that's, in fact, I would dis, I, I actually would respect CPAC more now if they just never invited me out of spite for the amount of whining I've done about this. There's a certain dude code thing that would just respect that more. Yes. Hey, like they should send me a private note. We were thinking of inviting you, but you have bitched and moaned about this for so often and we're tired of hearing about it. So screw you. I would like frame that yeah. and like have a whole new respect You'd for them. You'd send them a cookie yes, book. Yes, 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 because it'd be, it would be at least somewhat deserved. Sure. I agree. Or maybe I'd send them some of our uh, final sponsor. I'd send them some of uh, Brooker's Founding Flavors, uh, which is outstanding ice cream. I let you try some of that as well. Oh, right? yes. Yes. Um, they're the best in the business. Brooker's Founding Flavors bringing you the ice cream revolution. It's a fun fusion of homemade super premium. And by super premium, it means it's got all the good, best ingredients, but a lot of those ingredients and super chunky in there as well. Plus, unlike those uh, one communist uh, guys that uh, do really good ice cream, uh, this is about promoting American history. Brooker's is a conservative founding principles based company. Thick, creamy ice cream, the absolute best chocolate ice cream I've ever had in my entire life, man, is the stuff that they had at Brooker's, all right? Rich gourmet ingredients that capture the spirit and passion of revolutionary America and the founding fathers. So if uh, you want to say, hey, commies, commies, you stick to the sausage and let these guys make the ice cream, Brooker's has a ton of varieties out there right now. And give them a shot. Go online. Check them out today. Go to brookersicecream.com. Brookers, B-R-O-O-K-E-R-S. Brookersicecream.com. Click the Ship Nationwide tab. Do you like red velvet cake? Do you like chocolate and peanut butter like Reese's? Those flavors are phenomenal too. All right. Brookersicecream.com. Click on the Ship Nationwide tab. All right, have we decided on the overtime that we're going to do here when the show ends in about a minute? Yeah, Andrew Cuomo, have. right? Correct. All right, so when we stick around for our Blaze TV subscribers, blazetv.com slash dace is where you can go to watch the overtime today. If you're a Blaze TV subscriber, that's also where you can go to become one and get a discounted subscription today at blazetv.com slash dace. So Andrew Cuomo, the walls are closing in for sure. His time, his days are numbered. There's a reason why you're watching the process play out the way that it has. We're going to explain that to you so you can be a more astute observer of our political system. Uh, and that's coming up in our overtime today. For the rest of you, we'll see you tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.